Welcome to the Summit Church Podcast. Man, it's an exciting day to be here. You can get up on your feet. We're going to get into God's Word this morning. Oh, man, it's so good to be at Summit Church. It's Memorial Day weekend, but it's also Pentecost Sunday. And so, uh, man, it's it's an awesome thing. I'm so thankful for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, you may be here today and don't really know about the Holy Spirit. You may be like, you know, I've seen those shows. It's kind of weird, right? It's kind of weird. People make him weird. He's not really weird. Um Man, I just love the peace of God. And if you felt that during worship, that's the Holy Spirit ministering to your heart. But man, today it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. We're continuing in our Follow the Leader series. It's all about the journey of discipleship. And now this is something we as a staff have really taken on wholeheartedly. Um, We take a lot of time throughout our week to meet uh, at tables, the most powerful times this year, I will say we're almost six months into the year. It's flying by. Thank God summer's here. My wife's a teacher, so she is back. I got my wife back. Thank you, Lord. Um, but yeah, the most powerful things I've seen this year have been sitting across the table from someone, talking to somebody, sharing the word of God with them. And if you look in the Bible, Jesus did this with his disciples. Some of the most powerful moments happened face-to-face, one-on-one in small groups. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Our main text will be in the book of Matthew. It should go up on the screen, Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And you can read along with me. This is what it says. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then we're going to move on to Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. It is the light of our lives. It's the thing that leads us and guides us. And, Father, today, I pray that you would make the path clear to us, Father. I pray that you would plant your seed, uh, your word like a seed in our hearts today, God, that would bring forth fruit in due season. We thank you, God, that your word does not return void. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to do and minister to us today. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Everybody said, amen. You may have a seat this morning. Turn to your neighbor and tell them good morning. Tell them good morning today. Man, I'm thankful for all the rain we've been getting. Uh, It's something to praise God about. Let's go ahead and praise God for the rain. You know, I I grew up in Matador, Texas. It's a a little bitty town on Highway 70. You may have passed through there. You may have gotten a burrito at the Allsup's, the only Allsup's in Matador. Uh, You may have gotten one there. And my dad, we would always pray for rain. And uh, I would would say, man, Dad, aren't you thankful for that rain? Well, son, we could have got a little more. We could have got a little more. And right now, we're getting more than more. We're getting a lot, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. Um, But, man, I love my dad. I could sit up here and give you a whole comedy set on Crawford Mason, but I'm not going to do that today. 
Um, today we're going to talk about discipleship. Last week, Pastor David had four steps he was going to take us into, but he was really laying the foundation for it. You know, sometimes we read over the notes, we all come together and read over the notes, and you can say in your mind beforehand whether or not we're going to get through those notes. There's so much content to discipleship. There's so much that God wants to say. And so over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about the four steps up the mountain toward discipleship. And today, we're going to talk about step one, which is to leave the crowd. To leave the crowd. To do what God's called us to do, we have to step outside of our normal, everyday life and do what he's called us to do. We see here in Matthew chapter 5, this is leading into one of Jesus' most famous sermons, the Beatitudes. And this is what it says, when Jesus saw the crowds, so when Jesus was walking through wherever he was at, he, was, he, he drew a crowd. Sometimes he wasn't even trying to. They would just, you know, he was, had like a gravitational pull to himself. And so when Jesus saw the crowds coming, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. So he separated himself. This morning, we're going to jump right in. I have a lot to cover in 36 minutes. So if you have uh, the app, you can get the notes in there. If not, have your Bible with you, your notes with you, and we're going to get right to it today. But Jesus would separate himself. He would go up on the mountainside, and then his disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Now, what's amazing, when we get into the Beatitudes of what Jesus is talking about, what he talks about really is countercultural. When you're praying, when you're reading the word, if the voice of God always is agreeing with you, I would venture to say you're probably not hearing God. God, when we sit with his word, it should puzzle us. It should challenge us. I'm reading some old, uh, some of the early church fathers and some of the first people that, that came as followers of the way, which we call Christianity now, and they would say, sit with the text until it troubles you. Until it troubles you. Until it takes the world you're living in and, and offers you a narrow path to the wide path that you're on. And this is what leaving the crowd is. You know, when we think about the narrow way, what comes to our mind is, does, you know, I, you know, I'm making good choices on what we watch. You know, we canceled our Netflix subscription, we're following the narrow way. I got off social media, that's the narrow way. I don't talk like I used to talk to, that's the narrow way. And all of those things are good. There are definitely things you shouldn't watch or say or do that God has called us to walk in. But really, the narrow way looks like loving your neighbor. Esteeming those around you highly, more highly than yourself. That I, I have to humble myself so that I can be exalted. That if I want to be first, I have to become last. When, when Jesus talks about this, this is what leaving the crowd looks like. And in his day, we don't have the benefit of growing up in a pre-Christian society. We are post-Christian. If you walk out in Canyon, Texas, or really almost any town in Texas, you'll see a church on almost every corner. We are Christianized. We have been baptized in a Christianity that really has separated itself from God's word. We've almost set up our own idol. Now, this is, you know, the, the start of the message. Man, I was expecting a couple jokes right off the bat, maybe something real funny, and maybe three methods to make me feel better about my life. But Jesus, Jesus does not do that. Jesus says things like this. Jesus said, blessed 
are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Like I said, if you want to be first, you have to be last. In Jesus' time and day, there was a hierarchy that was set up. You would have your Caesar or your king. Then you would have politicians. Then you would have men, then women, then children, and slaves. Jesus came and said, esteem the slave just as highly as you do the king. He leveled the playing field. This is totally counter to what we think in our normal Americanized Christianity. I'm laying this foundation to get us to see something that maybe we have lost sight of. Because just, just like myself, I want to be successful. I want to do good in whatever it is I'm doing. Uh, you know, when I moved to Canyon and, and became on staff here at Summit Church, I, I'd only play the guitar and sing. But, but now, you know, I've, I've worked my way around the stage and I play just about every instrument because I want to be successful. I want to do good. And in the name of being successful and doing good, we have forgotten the plot of what Jesus has called us to do. Success is not the end goal. Obedience to Christ is the end goal. We may obey God and die early. Jesus was a little over 30 years old when he died. And when we say, man, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. Well, what he preached and what he taught got him killed. <laughs> and, and, this, and I was just like you. When I started thinking about this message, I was like, man, Lord, are we really, you know, forsaking the, the, the narrow way for the wide gate? Have we really moved away from what it is you want us to do? And this morning, you know, I pray to just lay another a brick on the foundation that Pastor David has laid that to make disciples, we have to first be disciples. We have to first be followers of the way. And so I, I just want you to think about that with me this morning. When we think about our Christianity, when was the last time I had to really sacrifice something on God's behalf? Just sit with that question for a moment. When was the last time I really had to go out of my way to do something for the Lord? Or does God's voice tend to always agree with what I think? Or how maybe even my politics line up? Or maybe even how I see the world? We so take the word, you know, and we would say, you know, I believe what the Bible says. But in a lot of cases, we believe what we think the Bible says. Not what it actually says. Now, here, here's something that I read that I wanted to share with you because this kind of proves this point. There was a, a famous figure. I don't remember if it was somebody in the political sphere or if somebody that was just a Christian leader, but this is what they said. And this proved to me this is where we're at when we think about the Word of God as it pertains to our life. He said this. He gets up on the stage, and again, don't, don't even try thinking about who it is. I don't even remember who it was. But they say this. The first thing they say is, they're taking over. They're taking over. And I know the Bible says to turn the other cheek, but so far that's gotten us nowhere. Now, when we hear that, it tells me, it tells me two things. Because when I hear something, when I read the word, when I am looking over something, I really want to get to the heart of the issue. And this is what that statement says to me. I will follow Jesus to a point. I'll follow him to a point. 
but I'll also stop following him when it doesn't work for me the way I think it should. As soon as I don't get my way, that's it, God. I'm checking out. Now, these things, I'm kind of getting you to think in this framework and move in this direction. Because when Jesus comes up to Peter, to, to John, to James and Andrew, and he says, follow me. The Bible says immediately. The next word after that question is immediately they dropped their nets and followed him. Immediately. They, everything that they loved, everything that they were doing... And we think to ourselves, well, they were just fishermen, you know. That was the cultural context tells us that that may have not been that big, but they were just fishermen. I mean, I've got a real job, and I've got a real family. Those guys, th this is what we do. This is what we do. We rationalize, and we, we remove ourselves from what the Bible is actually saying. And then, so we're going to go ahead and move to point one here. There's three steps to leave the crowd. Three steps. The first step is to answer the call of Jesus. To leave the crowd, we have to answer the call. Follow me. This is what Jesus is saying. And in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22, this is the account. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, Jesus is making the rounds, getting his disciples. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. And he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Immediately. Immediately. I want to pose the question, has God's voice become numb in your ears? Has it become numb when he says, follow me? Drop what you think is important. Drop what you think is giving you life and follow me. See, we, we're, and even I've said it in my message, we think Jesus' ways are countercultural, but Jesus would say the way we live is counter to his culture. We are not living real life. Life is a person. Truth is a person. The way is a person. It is not a set of methods or principles that I govern my life by. Truth is Jesus. Life is a person. Do you know life? Do you know truth? This is a question we have to pose ourselves because we can become, uh, have so much certitude in our way of life. We, we may have a nice house. And listen, I'm thankful for what I have. We, just, we were blessed this year with some awesome things. And I have prepared myself in my mind from the moment we got them. Lord, if you tell us to leave this comfort to do whatever it is you want to do, we'll drop it in a heartbeat. Because I want to follow his way. His way is life. Something else to contrast this. One of the early saints, St. Ignatius was his name, of Antioch. They, they found his writings, and this was something he wrote to the church in Antioch. He was being persecuted for his faith. This was second century church, not far removed from uh, Jesus. And he writes to his followers and his disciples, I know I'm in bonds and I'm in prison, but don't pray for my release. 
Because when I was baptized and I said I was buried with Christ and I said I was joining him in his resurrection, that's what I meant. And I don't want to be released because through this I'm going to glorify Christ more than I ever could. He, the language I'm trying to remember, he said I'm, I'm ground up like wheat ready to be made into what God wants to make me. Amen. This is, these, are our, these are the shoulders we stand on today. These guys that gave their life. And we are very far removed from that. This message today is not meant to condemn anybody, but it's meant to get us to think. Because as I began to study, I started thinking, you know, we as a staff are doing this discipleship thing. I have about 10 guys that I meet with, and I think to myself, man, I don't want to lead them on the wrong path. I want to lead them in the way. So Jesus calls the first disciples, and they immediately drop their nets and follow him. Then you go to Matthew 19. So here's the comparison. You have the first four disciples, then you have the rich young ruler. Matthew chapter 19, verses 13 through 30. And I believe with all my heart, a lot of us are in this boat. This is something I have to check myself on. Matthew 19, verse 13 through 30. Then people brought little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples, boy, they were getting confident. The disciples rebuked the kids. Back up. Jesus said, no, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus, boy, Jesus was always turning things on their head. Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good, and it's God. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. And I just hear the certitude in the rich young ruler's voice. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, commit adultery, steal, give false testimony. Make sure you honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. And this is what he says. All these I have kept, the young man said, what still do I lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give it to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it's hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. And we'll stop reading there. Jesus is showing us, you know, we, we think about the 99, right? Leaving the 99 to go find the one. And this is how God wants us to be when we leave the crowd. We need to go find the lost. We need to be those that are going after that. But just like the rich young ruler, he could not leave what he had to follow Jesus. Now, he, he talks about the rich man going through the eye of a needle, and we may think about money, and money may certainly be a vice in our lives. It probably is. That's why we work so hard to get more of it. But also, another thing could just be the comfort of life, the comfort of our family, the comfort of our schedule, the comfort of what we like to do. Something that the Lord's been putting on my family's heart this year is having peace and pace in our lives. Is the peace of God following our life, and do we have the pace 
in which God wants us to have so that we can drop everything and do what he wants us to do if he asked. Many of us were so caught up in whatever it is. It may be community. It may be our jobs or businesses. Uh, I've been reading, like I said, a lot of the early church fathers. One of the early theologians, his name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He died uh, in, a, in a concentration camp during World War II. And he would say, people that cannot be alone with God should be careful of joining community. Because they will use community to drown out that they are inwardly impoverished. That will use the noise and the busyness of life. And then as soon as we get away from all of that, we're broken down on the inside. We're like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, we look good. When we're out in public, it's great. But when we get home, man, we're tore up. There's no satisfaction in our lives. Because we have used community in the busyness of life. To so drown out what God wants to do that we've become numb. The rich young ruler could not leave what he had to follow Jesus. He could not do it. And he went away sad. How many times have you and I, myself included, come to a church service and left sad? Man, God was really doing a work in my life. I felt his presence in there. But the seeds he wanted to plant were drowned out by the time we got home. Because we treat church as an event. This is something we go to once a week. It's an organization we're a part of. But God never called us to be an organization or a business. We are a body. We are a living organism. We, we try to turn ourselves into machines. You know, we, if, if you're 18, you graduate, and you don't have three businesses going to get a degree and already got $30,000 in the bank, I mean, what are you doing? That's what our culture tells us. Where, where are you at? You're not even getting after it. What are you doing? Work harder. Work harder. Be better. Do good. That's, that's what we're pushing. Be a machine. But God doesn't call us to be machines. He calls us to be planted like a tree. To be fruitful. We want to be genetically modified. You know, I lifted a lot of weights in high school. And I got a lot of friends uh, that are genetically modified because they did not do it the right way. They took steroids. Okay? That's what they did. And I would be like, I would tell them my max on bench press, and then they would tell me theirs. And then I would find out that they were taking steroids. I'm like, man, you cheated. You're genetically modified. And the, the problem is we want to bear the fruit of Christ without taking the time to sit with Christ. Too many GMO Christians. Not willing to be planted by the Lord and bear fruit in due season. Me and Taylor have three peach trees in our yard. Thank God somebody planted them before we got there because I probably would have killed them already. I don't know how to take care of stuff like that. And uh, fruit is slowly bearing on those. And Lindley goes out every day. Dad, can we pick the peaches? Can we pick the peaches? Are they ready? And I'm like, no, babe. It's not their time yet. It's not their time. We have to get to a place where we have peace in our lives. We have the right pacing of God. This is something that's leaving the crowd. This is something that when the world's flying by, it would be as if the whole congregation is flying by at me at 300 miles an hour, doing all the stuff, looking successful, and I'm walking as slow as possible in the other direction. That's what the narrow way looks like. And that's what Jesus called us to. 
It is narrow. God knows his ways are hard to live by. Dietrich Bonhoeffer famously said, we have the, the, uh, the mission that is so hard that we have to coexist in two worlds as one, at once as believers. That we're living in a world that's full of reconciliation and life. That we're in moments of worship like we have on Sunday. It's like a little piece of heaven on earth. Like it, we're looking towards the days to come. We wonder why the old saints sang about heaven all the time. Because they didn't have that great of a life. They didn't have air conditioning. They didn't have all the amenities that we have. They were dying early. They did not have vaccines and things to help them and live longer. They were just dropping like flies. That's why they sang about heaven so much. They were looking forward to what God had for them. But we are so comfortable now, we don't even know what heaven would look like. We don't even have a framework or an even in longing to be there. We like where we're at. We're the rich young rulers. Sometimes we might get sad. Sometimes the Lord might move on our heart. But when he says to drop our nets, when he says to leave the 99 of comfort to go find the one, we are so wrapped up in that it's hard for us to leave. But God's, God can empower us to walk out of that. But we have to do this. Not just pray a prayer. Not just do what we do. We have to deny ourselves, repent, take up our cross and follow him. That's what came out of Jesus' mouth. The second thing we have to do is walk in the ways of Jesus. We have to be about the lost. We have to seek and save those that are lost. There is a famous hymn uh, that's called, It Was You Who Invited Me Here. And I want to read that as we get into this point. This is what it says. I want you to listen to this uh, verbiage really close. When I enter that beautiful city, far removed from earth's sorrow and care, I want to hear somebody saying, it was you that invited me here. When at home in those mansions in heaven and the saved all around me appear, I want to hear somebody saying, it was you that invited me here. To our Savior alone be the glory, whose spirit the witness did bear. Yet I might not have heard the glad tidings had you not invited me here. Who are we inviting? The ways of Jesus looks like sitting with those that are broken. Sitting at a table. That's where the great physician does his work on souls. Sitting across the table. Jesus sat down with tax collectors prostitutes. These people were the lowest class you can think of. Many of these people, uh, slaves, th these people, they would be outcast. They would, many people would let them die on the street. And you would find Jesus meeting with them. Jesus didn't even have a place to rest his head when he was on this earth. Jesus would probably look more similar to a homeless man than many of us in this room today. Jesus and I'm saying all this, Jesus is just different. And that is why when we follow him, it should be such a thing that puzzles us. Wow, his ways really are different. His thoughts are higher than my thoughts. His ways are higher than my ways. You have two people that go to the temple to pray. Jesus shares a parable. One's a tax collector, one is a Pharisee. He's telling this to the Pharisees to talk to them about spiritual blindness. They walk in, both of these people walk in, the tax collector's beating his chest. Lord, forgive me, for I am a sinner and I know I need you. But the, 
But the, uh, the other man, the Pharisee, walks in pompous. He's proud. God, I've kept all the commandments. I'm a good person. I do good. I am good. I'm a part of all the right things. I say all the right things. I do all the right things. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. And Jesus says, the one that was beating his chest, saying that he was a sinner and needed me, he left in the right standing with God, the other one. He, he, pretty, much, he pretty much said he's so blind that he's probably not ever going to follow me, which meant he's probably going to be going to hell. Because the blindness of where we're at, it's so Marxist that we can't even see. When God speaks to us, it, we're just numb to it. And I pray that the Lord opens our eyes because he wants to use us to make a difference in this world. Spiritual blindness. He wants to free us from spiritual blindness today so that we can walk in his ways. Jesus is concerned with that which is lost. This is why you find him meeting with people like that. He wasn't worried about There's only one group of people Jesus really didn't like, and that was the Pharisees. And that's because they already thought they were good. It's a whole lot easier to save somebody that knows they're bad than somebody that thinks they're good. It's really hard to save somebody that thinks they're good. They think they've got it figured out. This is the most scary place to be in your spirituality if you think you've got it all figured out. It's so scary. It's so detrimental because... The, the Bible talks about it. We talk about whitewashed tombs. It's like we're pretty on the outside. We look good. But on the inside, we are empty. This is, why, this is why when you talk about suicide, especially among the younger generation, the rates are so high. They're having to put on a front. But inwardly, they're dying. And it's because we must get real with what God is saying the great physician wants to do the work, but he can't work on those that think they're already okay. You'll never come to the doctor's office. If you think you're okay, Jesus cannot help you. And he won't. He is a gentleman. If he's invited, he comes in. If you think you're good, he's going to pass you by. The Pharisees are seeing Jesus being beaten before he is going to be put up on the cross. And he's saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They're, they're slandering his name. Meanwhile, just a few days before, the crowd was yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna. You are, you're the king. Thank you for coming. This is how the crowd is. And Jesus wants us to leave that. So like I said, number one, we have to answer his call. And second, we have to walk in his ways. Like I said, I, this year, sitting across the table from people have been the most powerful moments. I'm so thankful. And it's just like Pastor David said, Sunday mornings are the practice field. They are what we're, we're getting ready and we're getting equipped to go out and make a difference uh, for the week. Sunday should not be the pinnacle of our Christian experience. Should not be the pinnacle. Should not be the mountaintop. It's, it's awesome. I love it. It's a little piece of heaven. But God's called us to go out during the week. That's what we read in Matthew just a few minutes ago. The disciples are thinking Jesus is ascending into heaven. 
They're thinking, come set your kingdom up on earth now. You've done it. You've resurrected. Are you going to send the kingdom? You talked about the kingdom so much. And Jesus says, no, go. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus is calling us to go. Go. When we leave here, we're meant to go. I've led more people to the Lord outside of this church than in this church this year. 52% of people will never step foot in the church. I love asking this question. Who all is in full-time ministry in this room? Every hand should have went up. Everybody is a full-time minister. Everybody. You're equipped. He wants you to do it. He wants to equip you to do it. You should be setting up meetings, meeting with people, discussing the Word of God. How can I encourage you? This is what God has called us to do. And that brings us into step or point number three. And Cheston, you can come up. Is to make more disciples. Number three is make more disciples. After we answer his call, which is a call that kicks against our flesh, if his call agrees with you in every way, you probably need to try talking to him again. Because you're going to have to deny something. You're going to have to repent or change the way you think about something. You know, when I was younger, I first started following the Lord. My, my youth pastor would tell me, man, if the Lord hadn't called you to give up a few girlfriends, Connor, you're not even following him right yet. He's going to ask you to he's, give up something. you got to give up something. And I would say, when God, besides the blessings, when God asks you to give something up, do you just check out on that? Are you exempt from that? You know, they were martyrs back in the day, and they gave their life for the Lord, but that's what they had to go through so I could live in the blessing. That's how we think, even subconsciously. I found myself saying, what am I doing? The people's, you know, the reason why I'm here today is because those disciples gave their whole life, like their whole life, everything for what Jesus wanted them to do. It should make us think, what am I doing? Make more disciples. Jesus taught to and modeled for his disciples, fully expecting them to reach the point that they could make disciples independently. Disciples will always be dependent on God. On God, That is why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit when he left them. But Jesus led his disciples to become spiritually mature. And as a product, they were then able to make more disciples. And we are disciples today because what Jesus did worked. The reason why I'm on this stage, the reason why you're in this room, is because of one man's sacrifice worked. And then on the heels of that, 12 other men, their sacrifice worked. Not worked in the thing in the way we think. Not in the ways we think. Christ's ways don't fit into our Americanized culture. It's like a square peg in a round hole. It's never going to work that way. And that's why so many of us opt out. Because what Jesus is telling us to do doesn't work for me. It's not supposed to work for you. That's why it's His ways and not your own. We must leave the 99, 
the ways of this world, the thinking and obsession of the present, the event-mindedness of our lives to be about the one, the lost, and living in light of eternity instead of for today. I've heard so many people bash the older generation that why do they always think about heaven all the time? They were so heavenly minded, they were no earthly good. And I and I it really bothers me that we do that. Maybe if we were more heavenly minded, we would be more earthly good. We would do more earthly good. It's not the things you don't do and that aren't a part of that make you a good Christian. What makes us good Christians is doing the good we know to do and stepping out in faith on that. When we refuse to do the good we know to do, this is what James calls sin. To him that knows to do right and doesn't do it, to him that is sin. It's not just making sure you don't watch certain things. And of course, you shouldn't watch certain things. You shouldn't say certain things. It's deeper than that. We always reach for this low-hanging fruit. What are the buzz topics? But God wants to do a deep work in us that is substantial and lasts. I want to read a couple of quotes, and then we'll be done today. We have to remember, Jesus said, I send you as sheep among wolves. This means that we will probably be devoured. Well, I've got victory, brother. Victory over everything in this world. That's right. But victory may look different to God than it does to you. It might look like a cross. I love this song by Jason Upton. It says, the cross, the cross is always ready. Every day it waits for me. Every day I wake up, the cross is waiting for me. Will I pick it up? Will I walk in it? quote I can't find it we have to answer his call we have to follow his ways and as a result we will make more disciples let's pray this morning father we thank you for your word God challenge us today beckon us and lead us to the narrow way We don't want to do it our way. I'm tired of my hands in the way, Lord. I repent of where I've put my hands in the way or where I have fallen short, where you've called me deeper, but I wanted to stay in the shallow end. Father, let us launch out into the deep today. Let us launch out into where it is you want to go. 
your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Far be it from me to think that I know the right way for my life, God. In you is life. In you is truth. In you is the way. Lead us in the way, Lord. Call us deeper. Father, I pray you'd put a fresh call in everybody's heart and mind today. If they become numb or deaf to what you have called us to do, God. Honestly, there's one call, and that's all, and that is to make disciples. You told us to go there for and make disciples. So today, Father, we commit ourselves to you. We deny ourselves. We repent of any way that has kept us from you and lead us into your way everlasting. If you're in this room and you say, I, I haven't answered the call. I've, I've been running my own race and playing my own game. And I've been asking God to bless it, but I know that's really not the right way to do it. I need to deny myself. I need to repent. I need to follow him with my whole life. And I want to do that today. I just want you to put your hand up. I just want you to put your hand up. Anybody else? I see some hands in the room. Anybody else? You're ready to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him today. His way is better. I see your hand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. stand to your feet. If you rose your hand, I just want you, we're going to sing this chorus together. And I want all of us to sing it, but if you raised your hand, I saw you in heaven, saw you. I just want you to mean this in your heart. Come on, you're all I want. And you're we seal today's message with your promise that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness shall be filled not righteousness as the world says but God a true righteousness that makes us pure in heart and blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God and God we see you today we thank you for calling us and leading us in the narrow way and we follow you Father if that means denying or giving up something in our life we commit to you today to do that we thank you in jesus mighty name we pray amen let's give god a hand clap of praise thank you lord thank you for being a part of the summit church podcast today we pray that god used today's podcast to draw you closer to him you can stay in the know at 
Summit by following us on social media. Thank you again for being a part. This is the Summit Church Podcast.